This is the Media Insider Podcast, aimed at giving you the secrets on how the media works and how you can pitch stories. If you like this podcast, please tell everyone and follow or at least like it on your podcast app. Well, this episode, I'm joined by Eleanor Warnock, Deputy Editor of Sifted, which if anyone works in the huge ecosystem of tech startups, will know what that is. Eleanor has also been a correspondent at the Wall Street Journal and a freelance writer in Japan, and has also worked on the other side of the fence in comms. Welcome, Eleanor. Thank you so much for having me, Helen. Pleasure. And I can't wait to hear about Sifted and how it's changed because I know it's really grown lately. So first of all, can you give maybe a top line overview of any of the regular slots or pages or formats that you either write or commission for? Yeah, totally. So I look after two main parts of our commissioning for Sifted, which would be news commissioning, And then the other thing that I look after is I look after all of our bylines. So that's externally contributed opinion pieces. And what would I say about both of those things? I would say that we cover a fair amount of news, but obviously there is so much news in the world of tech. So have to sift through what we're going to cover, what we aren't going to cover, and whether that fits in with kind of our audience and the strengths of our reporters. And I can go into a little bit more detail later in our conversation about the kind of criteria that I use to look at that. And then for bylines, I can also go in a little bit more detail about that too. But those are the two main ones. Yeah, I would like to go into that in time. First, I just want to know, what are the audience figures of Sifted? So we have over 100k newsletter subscribers. So we have our flagship newsletter, and then we have several specialized newsletters that also are good to understand because they do represent, you know, the subject areas that we really care about. So we've got fintech, we have startup life, which is about working in a startup and building a company, building a startup. We have sustainability, and then we have a corporate innovation newsletter that we're going to change around and kind of make about investing more generally. But those are our main newsletters. And they go out daily or weekly? So the specialized ones go out once a week and the flagship newsletter goes out three times a week. But then the other, like in terms of actual page views, because we are an online media, we have 1.1 million page views a month. And 62% of our readers are senior decision makers and about a third of our audience are from startups and scale-ups. So the people that are either running a business or working at one of those startups, that's like our bread and butter in terms of audience. And I imagine investors as well would be a, a key part of your readership. Exactly. Exactly. We kind of think about it like if Sifted is the watering hole full of information and you've got all of these great founders and startup operators that are there at the watering hole, then the investors obviously want to come and also be involved in that. So they're like the other people that come to the watering yeah. hole. One oh, quick question I have, because I... I Notice that it's described as backed by the FT. What does that mean? Is Does the FT own it? So the FT does own a stake in Sifted. They're an investor in Sifted. And we also are able to use the FT brand. So if you go onto Sifted's website, you'll see, of course, backed by the FT. In our logo, we'll use the FT logo next to that. But on a day-to-day basis, we don't do too much collaboration with FT. I really wish that would actually change a little bit. would love to work with some of the incredible journalists that are at the FT. But we're a pretty independent little outfit. We have our own office. At the very beginning, Sifted was in the FT offices, but we soon grew very quickly and we moved out. So, yeah. Great. 
now that you've grown and you're a bigger team, can you tell me what the planning process is then? You know, is there a planning meeting? How many people are involved, etc.? So every week we have a Monday meeting at 10 a.m. where the editorial team, so that's our journalists, plus a couple other people that are part of the wider Sifted team, like our head of social media, all get together and we talk about what is the schedule for the week and what we're going to be covering. And then in terms of commissioning news and other things like that, it's done very much in real time. We use Slack. So all of our reporters are getting different emails from PRs and sources, telling them about different things that are happening in the ecosystem. Myself and then Amy, who's our editor-in-chief, ultimately need to sign off on anything that we're going to cover. And so we have a Slack channel where people can paste this news, share it with us and say, hey, I'd really like to cover this or I think that we should really cover this. And then I will talk to the journalist about why or why not. I think that it's a good decision to cover something. Okay. So how many writers are there sifted? So our team is, I think, about 13 people. We have someone in Sweden. We have someone in Barcelona. We have soon to be two people in Berlin. And we have some freelancers in France that we work with. And then we also have a correspondent in Warsaw. So we very much have writers all across Europe. And then our headquarters, largest of the of the writing team, is based here in London. Wow. And they're all pitching their own stories, essentially. Exactly. They're all pitching their own stories. They're all pitching both about their geography, right, but also about specializations that they're interested in. So for example, the woman who writes for Sifted and is based in Stockholm, her name is Mimi Belling. She's a senior reporter for us. She covers, of course, the Nordics, but she also covers health tech. And so sometimes she'll pitch me a story about a Swedish startup that she just thinks is is interesting because it's from Sweden, it's from her geography. But then sometimes she'll be pitching me a French health tech company because she also covers health tech. Got it. Okay. So given the the two types of content that you do oversee as deputy editor, what would be the typical way that maybe a pitch, either from a PR or a member of the public, would materialize in, into coverage? I mean, obviously, there's the contributor article, but perhaps you can just drill down into those two formats a bit more and what might fit as a pitch. So let's first start with talking about news and how that pitch, going from like the first moment of outreach, would get turned into an article written by one of our journalists. Most of the time, the pitches will come to us on email. I always encourage people to send those pitch emails to news at sifted.eu just because sometimes people on the team are on vacation. And so maybe you send that pitch to a specific reporter, but they're out. All of us get that news at sifted.eu email and it makes it super easy for all of us to see that and know that someone's going to pick it up, right? And someone's going to put it in that Slack channel and we'll have a discussion about whether or not we should cover it. Once the email comes in, as I said, Someone will usually put it in the Slack channel, unless it's very clear that it's, you know, a German deal and our German reporter should definitely cover it. And so I'll just, you know, liaise with the German reporter. But it goes in the Slack channel and we'll have a little bit of a discussion about whether or not we think we should cover it. And in my view, it's, of course, more art than science to figure out how we cover this news. A lot of times they are going to be things about funding rounds, so about startups that have raised money from investors and want to talk about that investment. And given the fact that there are thousands and thousands of startups every year in Europe that raise money from investors, we cannot cover all of them, right? Even though there are many, many fascinating companies out there. 
And so really what I think about is I think about a first just off the bat, like, is it super big and newsworthy, right? Is it a like $500 million round that's has these world-class investors in it and it's actually really news? Like $500 million is really, really big. You know, one of those mega rounds. Obviously, should probably cover it if it's a round that's really, really big. But then I also drill into different other criteria that can help me figure out whether or not it's newsworthy. That can include, are there very noteworthy or interesting investors? Is it a very big and famous U.S. investor that's investing in an Italian startup, right? Okay, maybe that's interesting. Are there interesting angel investors? A great example of this is we covered a company recently who counts Maisie Williams, who is most famous for being on Game of Thrones, as an angel investor. Kind of cool that an actress, a celebrity, is an investor in a startup. So I look at investors, look at size, then I'm looking at investors. Then I'm looking at business model, right? Is this a kind of company that we've seen before or we haven't seen before? For example, we have seen a lot recently, a lot of carbon accounting startups. So startups that are trying to help big companies figure out their environmental footprint. After about the fourth one, I'm like, you know, we've covered most of these and I don't think that this is something super, super new. But if someone came to me with a really, really novel business model, they're disrupting, I don't know, something, some market. And I'm like, wow, I've never heard of this happening before. Definitely going to, you know, make me sit up and take note and think, okay, maybe this is something we should look into. And then I think the other criteria, the final like angle that I would look at is, is there something special about the founder? Is the founder from a community of people that hasn't traditionally raised money? Is the founder someone that comes from a very interesting and different background? Is the founder someone that has successfully scaled and exited other businesses in the past? And so putting all of those things together, the size of the round, who the investors are, what the business model is, who the founder or founders are, helps me make that decision. And at the end of the day, actually, we sometimes cover rounds that are small or companies that are very young and very small, just because, you know, if you look at all of those criteria, there's something really cool and new and interesting there. Yeah, it comes down to that human news judgment, doesn't it? Which journalists acquire, but people that have not worked in the media find so difficult because it just takes years. <laughs> it's a human skill. I would just add one more thing on in terms of sectors. So as I said, you know, we have our specialist newsletters and we also have journalists that are specializing in specific sectors. So we've got health tech, fintech, climate tech or sustainability, whatever one you want to call it, future of work, deep tech, and then VC. And so it also helps a pitch, a news pitch, if the news falls into one of those categories, because those are kind of proven categories that we've seen our readers are interested in. A lot of times we'll get pitches for some sort of software that has to do with like B2B software for enterprise. We found that that doesn't resonate so much with our readers, even though I know that that's a big, huge area for investment, but it just doesn't really fit in terms in our wheelhouse, in terms of our expertise about what we write about. Yeah. What is your view on getting press releases? Press releases are totally fine. Usually we will dig a lot further into things. If we're deciding to cover news or not, they can be just the kind of perfect first thing that we need just to give us a little bit of information and help me make that first decision about whether or not we should move forward or not. 
whether it is news or not. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about the contributor articles then. What makes a good and a bad contributor article? What is going to work and what's not going to work? So in my one year of working at Sifted and doing tons and tons of contributor articles, I found that a couple formats really work. The first one is a spicy take on something, something that's controversial. Great example is we had a contributor a couple months ago write an article about why Web3, which is a new kind of startup company, kind of a movement around how you build your company that a lot of VCs and founders are very excited about. This person wrote about why Web3 was not going anywhere and wasn't anything new. And it was very, very opinionated and a spicy article. And it did very, very well. So that's the first one that does great. Love when someone can come to us and is prepared to put themselves out there and be opinionated about something. The second kind of article that works really well for our opinion pieces is a piece that's really raw and vulnerable. So everyone knows that building a company and scaling a company is such a challenging journey. And there's it's hard for you as an individual. It's also hard for you as a professional, as a leader, right? Whether you're the founder or whether you're part of the early team of that company. So the people that read Sifted, who are those people that are going through challenging situations, building companies themselves, they love when they can read stories about people that have come before them that kind of share in that that challenge and that difficulty and that pain sometimes, right? So a great example of this was we had a wonderful opinion piece by a woman who had failed as a founder. And she talks about how for a long time, she was so ashamed to tell her family that she had failed, that she kept it a secret from everyone. And she talks about when the startup was failing and she was losing money, how she started losing her hair, right? Like all of these physical symptoms manifested themselves because of the stress and the pressure that she was under. And I have so much respect for her bravery and coming forward and sharing that story because it resonated with so many other people who are like, yes, I also feel the shame when things don't go well. How do I talk to my investors? How do I talk to my staff about when things aren't going well? So those do extremely well. And I always feel like I learned so much in working on those very raw stories. The third one that does very well, it's just practical advice on how to build your company. So some great examples are We had a great piece about how to pick your first institutional investor, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The founder said, you know, I talked to over 100 investors. I'm here to tell you my experience so you don't make the same mistakes, right? And it's like, here's the criteria. Here's how you do it. We had another piece, for example, from someone looking at, actually, maybe startups should use billboards for marketing. Instead of paying all this money to Facebook and Instagram for ads, why not think about billboards as a great marketing technique? And here's how we did it. And here's how much money we spent on it. And this is the way that we thought up the idea for the billboard. So those very practical, actionable, advice-driven pieces also do very well. Brilliant. So it's the strong opinions, first-person pieces that are raw and honest and quality advice. So let's talk a little bit about what are you looking for in a, in a good interview or profile piece? So I would say that we don't do many standalone profile pieces for founders who are in the very early stages of their journey. We do do our version of Lunch with the FT that we call Brunch with Sifted. So a little bit more casual, a little bit more playful than some of the lunches with the FT. But those brunches that we do with Sifted 
are very much with people, with both founders and investors that have been in the ecosystem for a long time, who have founded multiple companies or, you know, really people who have been around for years and years and years and seen lots of companies come and go and really understand the ecosystem. And so it's a pretty high bar to be able to qualify for doing that brunt with Sifted. But in terms of regular interviews with someone that maybe doesn't have as long a track record, we wouldn't do that as a standalone profile. But of course, that's why I kind of give people the advice to find that reporter that's in your area that your company is working in and maybe pitch them instead of an interview. Like, are you working on a feature piece about, I don't know, recruitment in startups? Why don't I tell you a little bit about how our startup did recruitment and share a little bit more about your journey building the company rather than just your business. Yeah, got it. That's really useful to know about the brunch with the FT, actually. That's really good criteria to know. I think that was on one of our target lists a while ago for a client, but now I know that they wouldn't have fit. (laughs) They were too small. So it's good information to know. It's really hard. Like I try to give feedback to all PRs that are pitching to us, obviously, because that, you know, helps the PR go back to their clients and explain to them why this didn't work. Right. But also just helps the PR do a better job the next time that they come to us, you know, and and with a focused pitch. And I just remember feeling really bad recently when someone pitched us Brunchwood Sifted and my feedback was like, I don't think your client is famous enough. That sounds really bad. But like, that was my feedback. And I just had to be very honest about you know, it needs to be someone that's really well known. So, but that's fair enough and brilliant that you give feedback because not many editors or journalists do. <laughs> but that leads us very nicely onto the topic of pitching, actually. First of all, do you get a lot of pitches? We get so many pitches. My inbox is a nightmare. <laughs> well, would you put a number on it? As how many per day? Oh my gosh, I get probably 150 to 200 emails a day. Wow. We had one editor on here who said they get one email a minute on average. <laughs> like, oh, she was like, I think that, that topped the chart. <laughs> so how do you cope with all those pitches? What are your pitching instant no-nos? So I would say that I do look at everything that comes into my inbox. I only check my inbox twice a day to try and give myself a little bit of space to do actual value add work. But I do look at every email that comes into my inbox. And so I would say I don't like when PRs chase like within 24 hours. It's okay maybe if it's been 24 hours. I understand you do need to get a response back to your clients and you need to kind of make a game plan for your media outreach. So that's okay if you want to chase me then. But I think it really annoys me if someone's chasing me for something that's just like it's been not long enough for me to potentially have had the time to really sit down and look at the email, right? So that's definitely a pitching no-no. Another interesting thing that people talk about is the difference between like, do you call the journalist? You know, my phone number is in my signature on my email. Like, do you call them? Do you send them an email? What do you do? I personally don't really care if someone wants to call me on the phone. I'm not As long as I'm not in a meeting, I'll probably pick up my phone and talk to you for five minutes and give you a response there and then, right? But I do prefer if people, if they want to send me something in writing, if they send it on email. Recently, I've seen a lot of PRs send me things on LinkedIn. And it's like, that's a whole other inbox that's also cluttered with like that person that I met at a networking meeting last week who wants to say, thank you, Eleanor, I enjoyed our discussion. And you're 
email, your pitch, or like, you know, can I send you this pitch? It's going to get completely lost within that other inbox. So do come to my real inbox, WhatsApp. I would also consider WhatsApp another inbox, right? Go to my main inbox where I'm going to see it all. Yeah, I hear this a lot. I don't pitch on personal channels. There's some pitches that you know instantly by looking at the subject line that it's just going to be a no. Yeah, totally. I mean, if it's a pitch that's about a non-European company, Sifted covers European tech. So if it's a non-European company, I know that's definitely a no. If it is about like a sector that we don't really cover, like I would say more small businessy. You know, if someone comes to us and they said, oh, we launched a new restaurant. Yes, that is a business, but that isn't a tech startup, right? So that would also be a instant no. But I would like reply to the person and say like, look, you know, this is why. Best of luck, but no. Yeah, yeah. That's great you reply. I love that. <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> yeah. It's, I always say it's not the time that it takes to reply. It's more the bandwidth that it takes up. It's the juggling so many different tasks. Even if it's only 10 seconds, you've still got to put your brain in gear. Have you got any examples of any either particularly good or particularly bad or funny pitches? Particularly good or particularly bad? Hmm, that's a really, really great question. Here's the great one that goes back to something that I talked about earlier that I wish more people would kind of realize. And, and I wish in general that people would be much more creative with the way that they pitch to us and try and find a way to collaborate with Sifted. So recently we got a pitch from a B2B software company. So again, as I told you, not really in our wheelhouse, not super you know, flashy, interesting stuff. You know, it's not like an, a scooter startup or some like, let's turn algae into, I don't know. We had like a tampon algae startup. Like that is like very spicy and I love that. So anyway, so this was like a regular B2B software startup. They came to us, they pitched their funding round. It wasn't super big, wasn't super small. The investors were fine. And it was just like, yeah, you know, I don't really think this is a fit for us. But I read the press release, just looking through to see if there was anything in there. And they had a quote from their CTO, their chief technical officer, who was a woman. And in Europe, there are so few female CTOs. And I was like, why didn't you pitch me, you know, meet our CTO? Like, she's going to write an opinion piece about how she made it as a female CTO and how she's leading her team, you know? And like, that's actually something... Again, because we cover that aspect of like company building and and everything from marketing to hiring to sales, that means that every startup, regardless of their business model, potentially could contribute something on that topic, right? So I just thought that was a real miss for that company when they were pitching. Yeah, you might not have spotted that. Brilliant. And just finally, is there anything else you've observed in terms of trends or anything like that, just, you know, in media generally that you want to mention? Totally. So it's been a really interesting journey for me to be in tech journalism because in my previous career as a journalist, I worked in financial journalism and I did a lot of reporting about government state bodies. So the central bank, the Ministry of Finance, in Japan. And then I also did reporting on big banks and big insurance companies. And all of those organizations are organizations that have huge PR teams and they have press conferences and they are very used 
to working with journalists. And they have a long history and institutional knowledge about how that relationship goes and that back and forth should go. And when I joined Sifted and started working in tech journalism, I was very surprised because this is an industry that doesn't have that level of institutional knowledge about working with media. And so founders, for many of them, it's the first time they're building a business, the first time they've had something that they might want to talk to someone in the media about, right? For many investors as well, like VCs that back these startups, they don't have any obligation to talk about their investments to the public, right? They can talk to their investors, but they don't need to talk to anyone about that, right? And so many of those people, they don't really understand how relationships with media work or how something like a simple pitch works, right? And so I feel like sometimes there's a lot of tension and frustration on the part of both journalists who are inundated by all these pitches and who get messages on Twitter and on LinkedIn from founders, you know, saying, why aren't you covering my company, blah, 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 right? And so it's just really interesting to see both sides, to see industries and sectors where that knowledge about working with media is so strong versus an industry where that really hasn't been built up yet. And part of the reason why I do like to respond to emails, for example, last week I wrote a piece about how people can better pitch to me. Sifted has a whole page about how you can pitch to us and how you can pitch opinion pieces. I feel like like we also need to be so much more of a part in educating people and bringing them on that journey than I ever had to be when I was a Wall Street Journal reporter, right? So for me, that's been a very interesting learning experience. Yeah, what you've described is exactly why I wanted to do this podcast as well, you know. And I suppose you've been on both sides of the fence, haven't you? You've worked in comms and, you know, and now you're a journalist. Did you have to do a lot of pitching when you were in your comms role? Yeah, totally. So I worked at a VC and I worked very closely with our portfolio. So if they had news, I helped them find media to cover their story. And I helped them brainstorm about different ways that they could tell their story to media, many different media, business media, more specialist tech media. And it did involve a lot of pitching. And that taught me some very useful things that really did instill in me, though, like the importance of giving feedback to PRs, because a lot of times they are, they have to go answer to the founder, they have to answer to, you know, their client or whatever. And so they're going to get off your back so much more quickly if you just give them a quick no and you give them five words about why it was a no, right? Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I'm all for that cause, absolutely educating the world on how the media works. And I don't think all these AI-driven tools to help yours help I think they're making the problem worse. I keep coming across these new tech platforms like automatic pitching based on keyword or automatic press lists. And it's amazing that people think they're solving a problem using all these digital solutions that are actually just making it worse because it clearly shows the lack of human judgment, which I think is what you need when deciding if a story is going to fit a publication. It's so funny that you mentioned those platforms because I've also been asked by VCs about those platforms. They said, oh, this platform, this company came and pitched us. Would you use this? What do you think of this? Should we invest in this or should we recommend this to our portfolio? And I'm always like, no, 
Like, like, you know, it is by nature a very human business and it needs to be a, a high touch curated business, right? The best PRs are the ones that are, I know it takes a lot of time, so it's very difficult, but are really crafting something for each journalist and looking at what they're writing about, what their publication cares about and trying to find that alignment where that is, right? And it's really funny that you mentioned those platforms. There's one that I have seen around. And funnily enough, some of those people, the people from that platform are actually pitching us on email. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder how AI driven that is. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad someone else kind of thinks the same as me on that. Oh my God, completely, completely. So I'm glad that I can go on the record and say, if you are a VC or a startup that's like, you know, you've like seen these services being offered and you think, oftentimes I think those kind of things they say, oh, we'll give it to you for cheap, right? And startups think, oh, well, great. I don't have much budget. I'm not, I don't need to spend so much money on PR and this will be a wave of magic wand and I'll get coverage. But that's never the way that it is. It's a relationship driven thing. Yeah, we don't use press lists. We don't send press releases. We don't do mass pitches. We just target the publications that we think are a fit. And that's how we do it. Eleanor Warnock, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Thank you so much for having me, Han. That's it from the Media Insider podcast. Please share this podcast to any other PRs, writers, or just people who want to get into the media. That's who it's for. And if you're keen to raise your profile, visit thoughtleadershippr.com to see how we can help.